Thank you again, praise team. And uh, I was really just happy to hear so much participation in the worship this morning. Um, in spite of the fact that the uh, projector went down on us. And for those of you that are a little bit older, you will go, well, guess what? The hymn books didn't do that. (laughs) Never had a bulb go out in the hymn books. And I, I was thinking a lot, actually, it's come up a lot recently, just thinking about getting older. Getting older is weird. Okay, and what I've noticed as I start to creep up on 50 is, um, is that, and some of you are saying, wait a second, that's not old, but <laughs> don't worry, there's others here who are saying, man, that guy's old. Um, as you creep up, uh, creep up a little bit, you know, you don't notice it maybe on a day-to-day basis, but then one day you look in the mirror and the hair is gone, or um, you realize your arms aren't long enough to be able to read the uh, book that you're holding in your, in your hand. You know what really got me? The, the, the thing that's really just wrecked me in the past couple of years, you turn on the radio now, and 80s is an oldies format. And that, that destroyed me. Like, I'm just like, oh, man. So here I am, you know, thinking about this part of my life, and I, I have not developed what would be considered a full-blown midlife crisis, but I get it. I understand what it is like to be at a stage in your life where you are questioning who I am, what is my identity, what is my calling, all of these big questions that, that surface again, perhaps, at this stage of life. And then I realize it's not that uncommon because a few years ago I was talking to a guy who's got uh, quite a number of years ahead of me, and he was at a stage in life where he was saying, kind of in this golf analogy, that he felt like he was on the back nine, right? He's heading towards the clubhouse, and he's thinking about how he really wants to make that count. And if you resonate with either of those, you probably have some of the same types of questions. What should I be doing? Who am I? Now, if you're younger and all of this sounds foreign to you, uh, well, actually, probably it doesn't, because I just learned not that long ago that there's a thing now called a quarter-life crisis. You can't laugh at it because it's a real thing. And, and, and I understand it because what our society is doing to young people is a little weird. Right? On one hand, we're telling them you need to grow up and you need to blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, we're not always giving them opportunities for that or giving them any of that respect. And heaven help you if you are a millennial, right? Because everybody has all of these stereotypes. But you're probably at some point point in your journey asking these big questions. What do I do with my life? Who am I? And fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject. And as we've been working our way through the book of Colossians recently, we're we're picking up today in chapter 1, verse 24, And this passage, I think, has a few really significant things that help point us in the right direction when it comes to answering some of these questions. Somebody's got that in the Pew Bible. Could you tell us what page number that is? 954. Might be helpful. Colossians, a bit of a smaller book. And it comes under the heading, Paul's labor for the church. 
Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, verse 24 reminds us that Paul has suffered a great deal for the call that God has put on his life. And if you read through the life of Paul, you see time and again, Paul was arrested. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was sick. He speaks of his thorn in the flesh that torments him. He ends up in a Roman prison cell. Paul, of all people, certainly understands suffering. And yet, time and again, this passage is no different. Paul talks about being able to rejoice, which is the strangest thing for so many people to try to understand. What does that even look like to rejoice in the middle of all the suffering that life throws at us? And Paul goes on to answer this as, as we move into verse 25. We hear uh, the statement kind of repeated from uh, chapter 1, verse 23, just a few verses before. Now, he is identifying himself as, um, sorry, I lost my place. that he is a servant, right? And I wanted to get this straight. In 23, Paul identifies himself as a servant of the gospel. And in 25, Paul identifies himself as a servant of the church. Okay? And there's a reason why this is important. Because it is an essential part of Paul's identity. We see this as a foundational element of Paul's identity. Now, if we talk about finding our identity today, you don't have to look too far to realize the challenges in our culture that come along with finding somebody's identity, right? People find their identity in all sorts of places today, like, like politics, they identify themselves sometimes primarily they're liberal or conservative or some other flavor. And you see that that is wrapped up in their identity, who they are. Certainly something that's come to the forefront in recent years, people's identity being closely wrapped up, tied to their sexuality. They see their sexuality as their identity. It's who they are. What's the problem with this? Well, essentially, when we understand identity from the biblical perspective, we see our identity being firmly rooted in Christ. What we're anchoring identity on is on the God who created the universe, the God who never changes, and we've got this rock. You've sang the song, perhaps, you certainly may have heard, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is 
So what happens if we form our identity on something other than Jesus? We're forming our identity on something that's transient, transitional, moving, shifting. And if you look back, you don't have to look back very far to see that that is the case with our culture. Whatever we're forming our identity on other than Christ is constantly in transition. It's constantly shifting. And Paul points out that his identity, who he is, is firmly rooted in Christ, and he knows that part of that call being rooted in Christ is to serve, to serve Christ. Now, In Paul's understanding of servanthood, he is a steward of what has been entrusted to him by God, which is caring for the flock. Paul obviously has this understanding that part of his calling is to share the gospel, but we also see here that he deeply cares for the people that he is called and entrusted to minister to. Moving into verse 26, he talks about the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I personally love a good mystery. I remember when I was a kid, my cousins had um, a whole shelf full of the uh, blue hardback Hardy Boys novels. Okay? And I used to love going over there to be able to get to one of those books that I didn't have to be able to read the mystery. Daniel, you had a collection of those. I still, I still do. You still do. So he will grow up eventually, but he's still got his Hardy Boys books. And, and, and a, a, good, a good mystery. I mean, even today now when I listen to audiobooks, mysteries are still a huge genre for me that I love to listen to a good mystery. My wife and I sometimes will sit down and listen to a, uh, uh, an audio book together. We like mystery books. And, and I'm, I'm a little reticent to admit, but with the last one we just finished was like called uh, The High Society Lady Detective, which was like a 1920s period. Like, I don't know. I feel like I need to go watch Downton Abbey now or something. But, but I love mysteries. And, 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 and understanding, when, when you get to the end and you're like, ah, it all makes sense now. And here's Paul talking about a mystery. What is the mystery about Christ in you? On one hand, it seems to be a fairly straightforward statement. What's so mysterious about this idea of Christ in us? If you've been listening to any of the previous messages uh, that Brent has done, you know that this letter is to a group of Gentile converts. Now, Gentile converts to uh, to Judaism were really second-class citizens, kind of politically, sociopolitically, economically, okay? So they, they saw themselves or were seen by society as being on a lower rung of the ladder. Now, it isn't actually a mystery that God would offer salvation to Gentiles. We actually find that going back even into the prophet Isaiah. We know that God's ultimate plan of offering salvation through the world was in play. But it was perceived by 
the Jews that it was going to come through the Jewish people. And some early believers, recognizing that Christianity began as a messianic movement within Judaism, taught that to be Christian meant to remain Jewish or to more or less practice, you know, practically speaking, become Jewish. I was just in my regular Bible reading, just started the book of Titus. You see it in there. See it time and again in different places. Paul writes about people who are imposing on other believers some aspect of, of the Jewish religious system. You know, that believers need to be circumcised or some other thing that's part of, of that system. But this is not what Paul is teaching. Okay? The Torah laws and the Jewish traditions, in Paul's understanding, do not need to be observed. Paul's telling us that God's promised salvation has already been completely, 100%, fulfilled by Jesus. Everything, the forgiveness and blessings of God's salvation, are now experienced by everybody, and that includes us, by the way, because technically we're Gentiles, right? Non-Jewish. All of those things belong to us by faith alone and nothing else, no other qualifiers. The idea that all ethnic and national barriers were destroyed by Christ was very controversial for some. And in some ways, it might even be controversial for some of us today. Think about who you might consider being a little bit outside of God's reach. I know that's a tough question, but it's one that's worth asking. Are there people, groups, or individuals that you're not sure God could ever save? The classic story, right, is, 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 is Jonah. Now, when people talk about Jonah, everybody pretty much would know about Jonah being swallowed by the whale, right? But what was it that got, got Jonah to that place? Well, it was the fact that God was telling him to go to Nineveh to preach this message from God that the, the Ninevites needed to repent. And Jonah's fear was that the people of Nineveh would listen and repent and God would forgive them and he couldn't handle it. And that's so much a part of human nature. Perhaps it is very worthwhile for us to think about the people that we uh, have in our lives that may be causing us <laughs> grief or hurt or pain even, that, that we don't know. Can God really be sufficient? And the answer according to the Apostle Paul is yes. The mystery was that God was dealing with Gentiles on exactly the same footing as the Jews. And the mystery is that God's amazing grace is sufficient for all of us. Period. Christ alone is sufficient. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom, that we may present everyone mature, fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ powerfully 
all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What does that mean for us? Like, we see Paul's pastoral heart for the Colossians. He cares about them so much, he's working hard on their behalf. Not just that they would be saved, but that they would become fully, complete, mature believers. And we also see that this is not a spectator sport. It's a dynamic relationship between God and people, right? God is working alongside the Apostle Paul, and he also works alongside us to bring about transformation. I often think about that as part of the mystery of how God works, why he decides to partner with us in bringing about this transformation in our lives. And we also see that it is hard work. He says, I strenuously contend. I go to the gym and I strenuously contend with a barbell. (laughs) You're like, you need to strenuously contend some more. I get it. But I know that I don't make progress and develop without effort, right? If I don't put the effort in, I don't make progress. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He is strenuously contending on the behalf of others, putting in the effort that this is a cooperative effort between God and us, and we have to put in the effort in order to reach the goal of maturity. Into chapter 2, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, right? Unity is such an important part of, of identifying God's work in the church, unity and love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God again, right? namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul speaks of encouraging their hearts in verse 2. And in Paul's Jewish worldview, the heart is not the emotions, right? The heart is the will. It's the volition. So what what he means is, is the choices that we make. How to help them understand truth and make good choices in the light of that truth in the middle of difficult circumstances. And ultimately, this truth is found in the sufficiency of Christ alone. And if we had to summarize this entire passage of Scripture, it would probably have to come down to the sufficiency of Christ alone. That's what Paul is really getting at. 
through these verses. So what do we do with that? Um, there's a quote often attributed to Socrates that says, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. But what's interesting is if you contrast that with Scripture, and we heard it read earlier, Psalm 111 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the world will tell us that knowing ourselves is the beginning of wisdom. But God says differently. And you'll find that same theme, those words used in, in, in the book of Proverbs and other places in Scripture, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing God and knowing who we are in relationship to Him. Coming back to this idea of identity. Think about the Apostle Paul. He didn't just serve. Paul understood that what the call was, was not just to serve Christ, but to serve like Christ. And do you get that distinction? Not just to serve Christ, to serve like Christ. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in trying to figure out what God's will is for our lives. We're looking for something really specific that he wants from us. But what God is, is calling all of us to is, serve, is service, to serve him. So before you worry so much about that specific calling, think about the general call that God has placed on all of us. We are called to serve him. We are all called to serve like Christ. And what's the example that Christ sets for us? Think about the way that Jesus served others. To love God, the highest ideal. To love others, the second greatest commandment. That we're called to love sacrificially. Look at the way Jesus was obedient to the Father. And this is so huge if you really want to understand God's will. This idea of obedience is so important. Because God is much more concerned with us following his moral will obediently than he is about the specific place that we find ourselves in. And if you are following God in obedience and sticking to the moral will that he has outlined for us, you will find that you have a good set of guideposts that will keep you in bounds. And you can serve joyfully in all sorts of different areas when you stick within those parameters. And Paul talks in this passage a lot about the process of striving to become more mature in Christ. And you need to understand that that maturity comes with relationship time, right? If, if you want to know about somebody... You can look at their social media feeds. You could check them out on Wikipedia. There's all kinds of ways you could find out. You could talk to people that know them. But if you want to be in a relationship, you need to meet the person to actually know them. And once you have met them and are introduced and you know them, 
The way to get to know them better is to spend time with them. And you grow in your knowledge. And you spend enough time with somebody, like, I've been married now for 26 years. I think I'm finally starting to get to know my wife. I'm not saying I figured her out. I'm just saying I'm getting to know her. Spending time. She's not here, right? Um, Spending time and putting in the effort to get to know somebody. The strenuous effort that Paul is talking about. That's where the maturity comes from. And the more we put in effort, the more we get to know him, the more clear things like his will for us and his path for us become. Right? Sometimes we're just too busy looking for shortcuts. And that's not what Paul is telling us. And ultimately, this foundation that we need to remember that everything is built on the sufficiency of Christ alone. Praise team.